Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Go Boldly podcast. I'm Scott Spade. I'm your host, and we've got a guest on today that if you've not heard his name, you will probably be hearing his name uh, from this point forward because he has got some amazing stories. But not only that, is he's working on something that I think can be a game changer uh, in in the world. And so I'm excited to have Gary Harrington on the on the line today. So welcome to the show, Gary. Hey, thanks, Scott. Pleasure to be here. And you've probably got stories for days and some that if you told me you'd have to kill me um, in, in the line of work that, that you have found yourself in over the, over the years. So share with my audience, you know, what is, what, what are some of the, the jobs that you've had and some of the experiences you've had? Well, I'd just like to say first that I have stories for days cause I'm old <laughs> and, uh, old people have a lot of stories uh, and um, now I don't have any that if I told you I'd have to kill you I have probably more that if I told you you'd roll on the floor laughing so, that, I mean that's that's how the real life goes right um, yeah I, I I was at a college I was a marine infantry officer um, back in the early eighties. So I went to the Marine Corps, um, after a year in the infantry, went over to reconnaissance, um, spent some time in reconnaissance. And then as a reservist on active duty, I made captain and I had planned always on going on active duty and staying in the Corps. But at that time, I got informed that, hey, you've made captain, so now you get to go to a non-fleet billet, which means Marine Barracks, ADAC, Alaska, or Guam. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm Amphib Recon, I'm Special Forces Scuba, I'm a, a Scout Sniper Instructor Qualified, I'm 26 and single, and I want adventure, and you're telling me I got to go be in some... Uh, like ceremonial kind of post what and uh it just didn't seem right to me so i ended up resigning uh, my commission in the marine corps and wound up enlisting in special forces in the army <clears throat> now i tried to enlist on active duty but regulations uh prevented me from doing that so i backdoored the regulations by enlisting uh, in a shortage MOS in the Army Reserve, which was SF Medic. And then once I been, went through the Q course and airborne school and the medic course, became qualified as an 18 Delta, a special forces medic. Um, now I was a, since I was in a shortage MOS, I was then allowed to enlist on active duty in the army. So uh, there's always an exception to policy to everything. Well, it was. And I, I think I remember when I went in to enlist, the guy said, wait a minute, aren't you the guy like three years ago came here and we couldn't, I, I go, yeah, that's me. And he says, <laughs> well, how can we do this now? I said, well, do you want to look at the rules about what you can't do? Or do you want to look at the rules of what you can do? Because the the reg says shortage MOS reservist, that's me. So 
I love it. Yeah, I wound up on the active duty, um, went to seventh group and uh, served there and then tried out for Delta, um, served there in, um, as an assaulter in Delta for a few years, um, then wound up in fifth uh, special forces group in the nineties, mid nineties, 96 was on a couple teams there and then sort of got moved into some kind of Intel gathering special projects. Uh, so that put me in the middle East a lot, uh, doing special projects kind of away, you know, from teams. And when I was doing those special projects in Yemen and Kuwait, I coordinated with, got, got the, all the bells and whistles for clearances. So I started coordinating with the uh, CIA and, uh, all the other intelligence agencies and in the embassies and, and working with them. Um, so I was pretty versed in that then and worked some special, like, again, these classified projects. Then when I came back to the States in uh, 2001, I was sitting in fifth group and I worked at, at a cell at group headquarters they kind of managed the compartmentalized programs and uh, all the speak the special category programs and stuff like that until 9-11 hit. And then 9-11 hit and um, I was in the first to go over to Uzbekistan and then into Afghanistan, uh, spent John Mulholland, the task Force Dagger Commander uh, at the time asked me to get on some CIA teams and for me to like pave the way to determine if the CIA had developed the situation with various warlords in Afghanistan to the point that he should send in special forces teams. Wow. So I did that for him. I, I I was on the first team I went to was in uh, Tora Bora. And right after the we came down off the mountain in Tora Bora, he sent me to um, a different team. And I, I was on the team that opened up coast. Uh, Nate Chapman, uh, the first soldier killed in Afghanistan, was on that team. And once I brought in other SF guys, then I went I. I went to uh, another place and opened up another base, brought in SF guys, and then went to my last agency team um, and served as the tactical leader for that team. Um, and that, yeah, that took me, I guess I went into Afghanistan in the first of, on the 1st of November, 2001, and I left like in April, early April, 2002. Um, then by that time, the, ag the agency had asked for me to be detailed to them because the conflict with Iraq was build was on the horizon and there was a cross-border program 
and they needed someone to run the tactical portion of the cross-border program. So uh, the Army detailed me to the to the agency officially um, from 2002 to 2004. So yeah, after a few months break between after Afghanistan, I was um, working out of the embassy in Kuwait at, during the day and then one or two nights a week, I'd run up to the border and go do tactical stuff uh, on the border and uh, bring guys in and put guys back into Iraq at that wow. time. Oh, and then by that time, right, I'd established a working relationship with the agency. The Army had a stop loss, which had prevented anyone in my shoes from retiring, and they ended that. And then the agency offered me the opportunity as an old guy in my 40s to <laughs> to start new and have a new career in the agency so i yeah i jumped on it i i came back to the states after having been gone uh for two years and took two weeks to out process the army and then uh walked out fort campbell on a friday and then monday walked in the doors at Langley uh, as wow. a staff CIA officer. Yeah. That's I've been to Kuwait several times and uh and um living in those circumstances I'm sure back now it's it's better than I'm sure it was when you were were there. And uh <laughs> I can't I can't imagine as bad as it, as bad as it is now, I can't imagine how bad it was back when you were there. Like, well, there you know, there's always something worse, right? So, when I started in the Marine Corps, it was pretty basic and right. pretty uh, tough. Well, then I recall my first deployment to Kuwait with a with an SF team. It was back when Doha was the, in the big the big warehouses, and the bathrooms were at the end of the street in these trailers. And of course it's super hot oh in gosh. Kuwait. And yeah. so uh, you remember how much water you consume all day long. So then people are getting up and peeing all night long. So there would be this big, you get up, you know, once or twice a night and you'd walk outside, you'd see all these people walking in various states of alertness because some people yeah. would feel, half asleep shuffling towards or or coming back from the bathroom <laughs> so I, I think things eventually got better right when uh when we started building bases and stuff there but yeah, i spent quite a bit of time on air and there's still there's still refrigerators all over the base full of water like you're there's never a <laughs> of water like you if if you dehydrate it is your own fault because there is a there's not a shortage of water anywhere. And, right. Uh, there a lot of, think how much plastic that that oh the US left and, there from water. And it's bottle. not and it's not good water, but it's it's good when it's hot. So Yeah, well the 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 bad thing was for being on a team, you know, cuz we would in this big warehouses, teams would take wall lockers and section off a team area. And then you would have bunks you know, two high bunks in that team area. 
Well, there are a lot of guys that are too lazy to get up and shuffle down to the bathroom. <laughs> so they're standing beside you, peeing in a water bottle, you know, and then, and then you, every once in a while, you'd have to yell at your teammates like, hey, you know, you've got like four or five bottles sitting around your bed that are full of yellow stuff. Please go Who's take them to the trash. And, uh, and I'm a light sleeper, so I didn't like waking up in the middle of the night and it's like well, well okay <laughs> well and they're it's probably still got some of the same bumps that y'all had there so you know. <laughs> yeah. i know they still double those bunks up and yeah it's but now most you got in one building you got the bathrooms inside but out on the out of the tents not so much and and i was lucky we lived uh like i i was in uh in Doha for a while, but then I lived um, in one deployment. We spent a couple months with a tank unit out in the desert, and they on their base, so we had their rooms and uh, stayed there. That wasn't uh, so bad. Nice, nice. You, I'm curious. What is one of your your most memorable memorable uh, experiences of just doing? working with the agency and something that is there something that just stands out that you're extremely proud of and, and um you know <laughs> with the agency there's a lot you know it's it's um i had a different career path than most because i did not go the ground branch where somebody with my background normally would go to the special activities division which is their paramilitary uh section i went to the regular case officer one with the uh, folks that work out of embassies but because i had a lot of experience with people in combat um and i served three years in that as a case officer in in afghanistan they sort of let me bend the rules i kind of went by a different set of uh, my, the, I guess, expectations for me were different than the other folks. So I, there were some adventures. Um, we recently did the, the Netflix spy ops thing. And that was about a series of ops that we did where I was able to turn some Taliban uh, to get them to work on, with us on our side. Um, and the agency, you know, it's funny, I spent my whole life in the military, um, wanting to be able to close with and engage in combat with America's, um, enemies. When I graduated sniper instructor school, that was not long after the, um, Iranian hostage crisis. I used to dream about being able to take that sniper shot at the Ayatollah <laughs> Khomeini, right? And uh, and then, you know, later on, I, I went to SF so I could chase adventure, which for military guys, that kind of means you want to get in combat. Yeah. Um, I went to Delta and everything I did to try, it, it, that didn't, I never got that chance to make that big uh that big impact y'all everybody wants to be the guy that shoots bin laden right, right. uh that's what we dream of 
And it's odd, uh, I think it's um, ironic that I ultimately, as a CIA officer sitting behind a desk, had a chance to plan the operation that uh, took out uh, Al-Qaeda's external operations chief at the time. Uh, and I, I thought, well, this is odd. I'm doing my job by talking to people and using the experience I've that I gathered over all those years in planning. That's, wow. <laughs> that, that's, that's kind of, that was kind of odd. Um, but, and I think in one time I was able to plan, it, it took almost a year of planning and rehearsals, uh, an operation that resulted in extracting a, a man and his family out of a country that the U.S. did not have access to and getting them successfully somewhere else that that that, those were things i think that probably as far as successes yeah uh, felt good but then i you know but not everything i did worked out great uh there's a time where when i was running the cross-border stuff from kuwait into iraq you know i i was full of hubris because hey i'd been a delta force guy I'd been to mountain climbing school and climbed buildings. I was good. And I was, I only had like a handful of Kuwaiti police that were really inept at, at trying to do uh, patrolling or combat ops. And I had one uh, CIA, young CIA officer with me and, you know, what he had, two weeks of weapons training um, or a week total. So my job was to kind of keep everybody straight and and do this thing. At, at one point, I don't know if you remember that between Kuwait and Iraq, the border at the border was this big berm and this big uh, trench that was like 15 feet deep, 15 feet wide. So the people that we were sneaking out of Iraq to provide information had to negotiate that trench. This was back in the time where the Iraqis were on their side, Kuwaitis were on their side, and the UN patrolled a no-go zone where we weren't supposed to be, but that that's where we were. So I had to hide from the UN as well as uh any Iraqis that might try to intercept us. Um, but this asset, he had been delayed several hours because he got down in the trench and couldn't find a way out. So it took us hours to locate him. When we took him back, the Kuwaiti guy, one of the senior Kuwaiti guys told me, I know a place it'll be really easy for him to get out. So we went to that place in the berm we had to hold this guy by the arms and drop him down into that trench. So, and he's down there. I'm the only person with NVGs on and I'm watching this guy in the dark, walk along and try to climb and keep falling down and falling down and try to climb. And then I said, you know, eventually an Iraqi patrol is going to come by here. And, 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 you know, we can't, this is before the war started. We yeah. we can't have that happen. So I was like, hey, wait a minute. I'm I'm an expert climber. 
So I had the other guys hold me by the arms and drop me down into that trench. And sure enough, I walked the guy along to a place where it was it was a little bit rough on the on the sides and put him on my shoulders and I got him out. Wow. Then I turned around to come and get back out myself. And guess what? I was stuck. <laughs> I, I tried all my, you know, Delta guy, mountain climber guy tricks, and I could not negotiate that. So even wow. though I went to a place where there was a corner, I could not negotiate it. And then I was thinking, you know, I remember thinking, well, this is great. I think all these guys are inept, but I'm the guy down, stuck down in the <laughs> hole. And, uh, and, and then I was thinking, this, this is going to be hard. I'm, I probably won't get killed, but the Iraqis might capture me. And it's really going to be embarrassing for me to explain that I got captured because I got myself stuck in a hole. Uh, it's definitely an oh crap moment. Like, <laughs> yeah, but it was a funny oh crap moment. But then, you know, eventually, and that's like, you know, this is one of those things you learn lessons in life. So I learned a lesson about my hubris and the agency guy, right? That I said had didn't have my level of skill in combat operations. You know, he saved my bacon because he had boots on, had really long laces, and he took all his, his laces out and tied them together. And I was able to get just enough line to make a loop on to help me get negotiate that wow trench and get out. So wow, that's incredible. Like you have to you have to figure out what you got and, and utilize that in the in the moment. Excuse me. So you are you are in the process of working on something that I think is going to be huge, and I think it's it is much needed. Um, your website GaryHarrington.net, the, the the just the title. Welcome to the Power of Prudence. Let's talk a little bit about what you're working on because I know you've been working on it for a while, and and you're on the verge of launching this thing. Yeah, well, there, there's a lot of people from that are former military that have security companies or teach combatives or uh, marksmanship or combat use of rifles and pistols. And I think like, for example, helping that family get out um, of a country gave me a great sense of satisfaction. And I look, I looked at my life. I've been lucky. I've, I've, survived a lot of uh, dangerous, precarious situations. Um, been, I've been fortunate, but one of the things that made me fortunate was being resourceful, pre-planning, and being prepared. And I, I looked at that and I was like, you know, we all went to fight foreign wars and other engagements overseas because we I felt the threat was there and we, our goal was to stop terrorists and bad guys somewhere else so they didn't show up on our door like they did 9-11. Um, as I was getting ready to get out of the agency, I started thinking about, well, 
there were a few terror attacks here in the States. And now with the current trend in America where there's just so much division and animosity and random acts of violence, um, less policing, less, you know, you can't rely on the things that you relied on before to keep you safe. That those very lessons of so many years in war zones and years undercover, if I took the principles, maybe not all the techniques, but the principles and some of the habits and adopted those for use by everyday families, that that would be a really powerful um, way to enable families to have peace of mind. You know, now there are a lot of parents that don't have peace of peace of mind about, and this is before this latest conflict in Israel right. uh, popped up, right? That so many people saw things or were exposed to uh, people antagonizing them or random acts of of assault that, and then they they want solutions. So that's why with the power of prudence, you know, our goal is to take those principles and techniques and instill those in families. Now, to do that, you know, the what we have created a course that's going to be titled the uh, prudent, the parent, the was it the prudent parent course. Nice. And it's for parents to mentor those habits and principles in their kids. And, you know, it's like I'm doing that. I have a 14 and 12 year old and I started when they were like six and four at working with some of those with them to make sure they were equipped to take care of themselves if something happens. Right. And that's the thing is, you know, you can either be reactive or proactive. And unfortunately, so many people are reactive and they're not very, they're not very good at being reactive. And so well, <laughs> and we can teach somebody to be proactive. We're both military and a military mindset is a proactive. Right. You're quite different than, than I think, like even police, that's kind of reactive and you don't prevent necessarily a crime, but you, you know, a, you investigate, collect evidence, and prosecute a crime. So I think people like us are wired that way. But a lot of, and a lot of people, when something happens, wish they were wired that way. But I'm finding now where a lot of people want that easy hack. Right. We're so used to looking on the internet and seeing three easy steps or five easy steps to do this. It's all a hack. Here's your life hack. Here's your love hack. Here's if your hack. Only. Yeah, here's your lose weight hack. And it's like, and, and there is no hack. It's a way right. of life. Um, with and, and the reason I chose the word prudence is because I think prudence means that you, you are prepared when you go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And when you do anything and it doesn't mean that uh, I, I think some people think, well, being prudent means you avoid risk. 
it right. doesn't. It means that you you take a risk, but you weigh the risk and you do the your homework so that you're prepared. Absolutely. So Gary, you are available to speak to organizations, to events, to um, schools, to to discuss a, a variety of topics. What are some of the topics that you really enjoy speaking on? Well, I enjoy speaking about resourcefulness and being prepared. Um, I think that we've kind of lost that, uh, some of that resourcefulness the ability to make do with what you have and make it work. Um, I, I love speaking about servant leadership. Uh, that's really worked for me in, in all of my endeavors in the military and in my personal life. Um, with some groups, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to share uh, the spiritual journey that I went on with my faith um, to come back to that. And, and also I do seminars, just a basic um, like travel safety, uh, family safety, situational awareness, and those type things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to put the your contact information in the show notes, but um I'm guessing the best way to reach you is through your website, GaryHarrington.net. That's yes, that's right. Great website. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm looking forward to this course starting and um, especially you mentioned, you know, the conflict in Israel. Um, there's, there's absolutely nothing that is preventing a terrorist attack here in the U S and, uh, um, even, even a, a, a mild, a small terrorist attack and, uh, and just regular, regular stuff that goes on. Um, and just to, on your point there, like I get, a, I got a call, um, in the early hours of the, uh, incursion into Israel. And it was about a family that was trapped in a bomb shelter in Tel Aviv. Wow. an American family. And what do we do now from here in the U S there's very little I, I can do to help you other than in times like that. What I've found are people want reassurement or reassured. Right. They want to turn to somebody that they feel has the experience and knowledge and really, that's all I could do at that point was, well, you're in a bomb shelter. So for now, you're safe. Yep. You, know, you need to stay, um, you know, just do what they tell you. And then you then you'll figure out where the safest place to move is. But it's what we would like to do is teach people to have that built into themselves right. so that whether it's our kids and, you know, there's a shooting going on that they know to take cover and, and watch to see what goes on. Um, and just, but as you said, it's just that in these times, people need that, that skill or that ability. Yeah. And this is something that, 
everybody can benefit from from young to old and uh and so i'm i'm grateful to see you you put this together because not only not only is the training coming from somebody that's been there and done that and you know you got a lot of guys that try to put something together and they haven't experienced the things that you have and seen the same the things that you have so um, a lot of credibility behind this. So, um, Gary, I have enjoyed having you on the, the show. I'd love to to ask you one last question. What's one piece of advice maybe that you've been given over the years or that you share with others that you'd like to share with my audience just to, to help them to keep going when things are tough? Keep going. You know, uh, I think a lot of people ask me about, you know, getting in into recon and then the special forces and then delta like everybody i get a lot of emails from or through social media people contacting me wanting the hack to get into delta and how how you prepare and what you do um but it it is a matter as you pointed out of being resilient and persevering and when all hell's everything's going to hell around you it's who is who has that solid base of who they are right and what you you and what you stand for and rely on that and never ever give up it's not the biggest baddest uh strongest guys that make it through delta it's the person that is willing to put up with more crap and take more physical discomfort and mental discomfort and keep doing their job. And that's what we all need, especially now. Yeah. You, you're speaking my language. So much of what we do is, is around mindset. I, I was talking to about 25 soldiers today on resiliency. And that's what I said. I said, as we were doing a hike, I said, your body's going to give up. But when your mind kicks in, you make that decision to keep going. You've got more in you. And so um, sometimes we've got to really engage our mind and say, okay, what's next? Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Gary, it has been a pleasure to have you on. I look forward to seeing what um, what you roll out. And uh, um, I just, I thank you for, for what you've done for our country. Well, Scott, same to you. And uh, I know you're still in there doing it. I'm 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 an old retired guy now. So uh, I, I'm the guy that has it easy now. Thanks a lot for inviting me, and it's a pleasure to speak to your audience too. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate it. Have a great Take night. Care. All right.